This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Black Ball. Black, black, black Ball. Black, 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 Welcome, everybody, to Blackball. My name is James D. Fury, and that was an idiot. Um, sometimes do you feel like you're talking to yourself when you want people to be civil when it comes to politics or when, uh, when people express opinions about vaccines or you know, some other wedge issue that you just wish that two people could disagree with each other and just talk to each other instead. And I don't know if you're like me, but I think those days are unfortunately um, few and far in between. And my guest today is not part of the problem. And, um, but I think um, what might be happening and she's going to either set me straight or we can discuss it or whatever. I, is, is that political content like that, where you go into public and you shoot footage, becoming more and more dangerous? And um, let's just get right into it, because I, this is something that I just thought about after that video. I mean, I've thought about it with Karima specifically a lot. But um, other than that, I, I'm, I'm now thinking that it just is generally a bad idea. But we'll try to sort that out. So please, welcome to Blackballed again. I think she's the four-time, I guess you're like the four-time champion. You're at least the intercontinental champion of guest slots in the show. <laughs> Karim Asad, how you doing? Hi. I'm good. Hi. I would take intercontinental champion any day. You know, it's a very unheralded belt, but really, you know, you get to you get to do more events. You get your, like, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> it has a prestigious sense. history. No, no, you're, you're on point. Yes, you're it does. Okay, good. I, I stopped watching when, when like it was like the year 2000 or something, but I watched until then with great joy and glee. And then I felt like a person that shouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> the girl, it wasn't really a good topic or conversation with women. So what do you like to do? Watch wrestling. <laughs> like, oh. do you play video games too? You're meeting the right wrong here? women, obviously. But That's true. That was a long time ago. Um. Anyways, <laughs> so we just saw the video. You have uh, arrested in the last little while. You have been the target of some pretty malicious online attacks. And then Kensington, and Kensington Kensington's a weird place all on its own. I, I, I think people should understand. I used to live there. And um, it is a hippie neighborhood. And then it, but, but it's always, it's almost like the transport. Uh, it's like the, um, the transit route for people on, on like the, the, for people that are walking from like Queen to college. 
And sometimes and often uh, they're going to buy drugs <laughs> and they're walking through Kensington. I used to live there. I, I just remember the routes they took. There's a lot of alleys there. Um, but it's still a, a hippie neighborhood. And during the day, something like that shouldn't happen to you. What, I don't think this is random anymore. This negative attention that you're getting. Like, I don't think it's just idiots. And um, it could have just been an isolated incident. And I really hope for your sake that it was. But that overarching idea that I wanted, you, wanted to talk to you about, uh, just about creating political content and if there's like an inherent danger to it now. It's an interesting point. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, certainly my experience has been that it's put a bit of a target on my back. Um, you know, when I'm out and about at a rally, I sort of anticipate people talking to me, reacting to me, disagreeing with me, conversing, whatever. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but it has happened a few times now where I get approached aggressively outside of that context. Um, and, you know, there's nothing about me apart from that type of work that I think would draw that, that, that attention. Um, so I, I have to believe that there is some level of connection. Um, and it, it is concerning from sort of the perspective of, could this have a chilling effect on others? Um, you know, is it going to have a chilling effect on me? Um, and that's something that I, you know, I work through and I'm constantly reevaluating um, the way that I approach this period and, you know, if you review my footage over the past year and a half, two years, it, it changes um, as I learn lessons and adapt. Um, and it's, it's a constantly shifting landscape. Um, so those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it is really concerning that people that are targeting you are probably at least a couple dozen times a day shouting the word freedom, like Mel Gibson uh, at the top of their lungs, but they can't stand sight of a person who is utilizing their freedom. Um, it would be different if you were an aggressive, obnoxious, in your face, sandbagging kind of gonzo journalist. I'm kind of obnoxious, but like definitely not aggressive. And who not... called you obnoxious? I'll kill him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. Um, I'm a little bit obnoxious sometimes, um, but not when I'm out recording footage. Um, and, you know, it's it, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who approach me are of the freedom variety. Um, there are a few who are on the opposite end of the political spectrum um, mm -hmm. who have equal distaste for me. Um, so I'll put that out there, but the only physical aggression I've encountered has been from the freedom folks. And otherwise it's been sort of veiled threats and mooning. Um, so, you know, that that's sort of its own thing to unpack. Um, but, but to your point, I think that you were trying to make, like, I, I I'm not a gotcha type um, of, of journalist, documentarian, whatever. Um, I, I try to be unobtrusive and where I am part of a scene, um, it's really 
I, I don't want it to be about me. It's about the person who is uh, reacting to me. So I, I don't know what it is that provokes people. Um, you know, this particular incident um, was entirely, it started off entirely unprovoked. Um, I was sitting on a bench. These guys passed by. They yell their freedom shtick. Then they are out of sight, still in earshot. They get a bit more vulgar. Um, and then they go their way and I leave the park um, and encounter them again on, uh, like we were heading in the same direction. Um, so I don't know, was there a question there? I'm not sure. But like, what is wrong with people if that's what we're getting at? I do not know. People have lost their damn minds. I'm glad that you pointed out that you get it from the other side too. Not equal responsibility there right now, clearly. Um, the far right in this country are being a lot more obnoxious and headstrong and aggressive mm -hmm. than the far left. Um, but it, it, it kind of, um, this is one of, the, one of the big reasons why I like so much in the work that you do is because I don't look at you and think to myself, like, there is a very far left person. Like, I, I don't like to put labels on people anyway, but I don't see you as that. And I think that's to your benefit in a sense, because you are clearly a progressive but you're like you're moderate or you're rational or there's just something about you that doesn't like want to just take a position for the sake that it's on that side of the spectrum and i think maybe that pisses off people who do operate like that i'm not sure if that's something they ever even thought about but i, I think we're talking yeah, about anti-hate and people yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't consider myself a centrist right so it's not that i pick the least controversial mm -hmm. position on any given issue um, but I do think that issues need to be assessed on their own merit. Um, and if there's one thing I've learned just from my vantage point, watching people engage and have discussions and arguments and fights online, um, and I sort of sit back and watch this unfold, um, people are just patchworks of opinions. And some of them are good and some of them are less good. From my, if I'm judging, um, and they obviously would feel differently, but the idea of sort of a uniformity of thought and approach, uh, I think, is really unhelpful, and it actually stifles um, progressive thinking because if your politics are based on everyone agreeing with each other at any given point in time, and the second you step out of line, you know you're to be targeted or called out or called in or whatever, but it's not based on values. It's based on an approach. Hypocrisy. Or, right. It, it's just, yeah. it's not a productive way to pursue things. Um, so like that's been sort of my experience. And again, um, I'll reiterate, like the physical threats I've dealt with um, are, you know, from, the right side of the political spectrum, but that's not to say that I haven't been harassed on, on the other side. And it's very frustrating, but also I, I get to see some of the similarities and patterns that emerge um, and people, you know, would be maybe upset at, at me pointing that out. Um, but that's the case. Like this idea of mm -hmm. uh, there is an orthodoxy and whether you know, you ascribe to it or not, that's what we are imposing. And we're going to impose it very rigidly. And if you associate with this person, you know, unfollow, block, like just divest, it, it's not, yeah. 
we can't live in silos like that. Um, so I, I don't and this is perhaps my thinking as a criminal defense lawyer, right? Where you, you work with people who have sometimes done bad things, um, you know, and, and often there are stories behind that that don't get shared um, for the general public. Um, sometimes, you know, it, that that's not to justify um, the commission of crime, but it's it's a lot more complex than simply person A did something bad and we must punish them. And sort of this thirst for punishment and vengeance and, you know, passing judgment on others when none of us really are in a position to do that. Um, and, and that's not the same as not having opinions, but uh, I see sort of the angry mob um, and it exists and sometimes it's on my side and other times it's not. But I think we really should be critical about that phenomenon because it, it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And, and yes, most of this plays out online. So, you know, the stakes are not the same as sort of mm-hmm. pitchforks and torches. Um, but it's, it's a very short leap, um, as I am realizing. Um, it feels like there's a glitch and we're, we're kind of seeing things I, I don't think I've ever seen in politics before. A quick example would be, when would you ever imagine, like for this pandemic, waking up and being like, you know, the right is really upset right now because some assembly is being questioned authoritated towards by the by you know, um, by the police and the left is like you know we could really use a lot more law and order at protests <laughs> in a, I, I never so never see this day it's and so i'm backward. so mm. and so uh, to that point is it because or less concerned about our rights than we are about our issues I, I do think that there's not enough concern about basic civil liberties and um, a very short-sighted approach in how we regulate that. And, you know, from my perspective, the government hasn't done anything to warrant being in a position of uh, sort of the arbiter of, of truth or sort of what's fair to say, what's not fair to say. I have zero faith in our current carceral system uh, resolving what are ultimately social issues. Um, so I think the I don't know the that alliance, word. What's that word? What did carceral? I say? What? Oh, like our, our system that relies on jails and prisons and sort of punishment and the okay, stick thank of you the for law. Explaining. Right? Yeah. Explaining I, to the our prison industrial complex basically um which you know anyone on the left who's worth their salt will know that this system has historically uh, and in an ongoing way it's it's weaponized primarily against marginalized people right whether that's on the basis of race Mm -hmm. poverty uh, addiction mental health that's who bears the brunt of it and because of the way that it's currently set up, um, it, it's just not an effective tool, I think, to deal with sort of uh, 
issues of censorship or regulating thought or assembly. Like I, I, I think that it is a very limited toolbox and one that easily will backfire when we eventually have a change in government. Um, so, you know, that's sort of the thinking that I apply, like how will this play out long-term, not what are the sort of short-term implications? All right, we're going to feel good about getting this guy in jail or, you know, deplatforming de this person off of whatever social media site. Like, what does this mean long-term? And, you know, even asking those questions, I think, um, is 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 met with a great deal of resistance and scorn. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, polarization, all that kind of stuff. The, f- the fact that we're living in an age where um, free speech is like the calling card of the far right is is a crazy thing to me. It was born on the campus of Berkeley. Literally, hippies fought for free speech, and now they're and now it's it's become. The left would call it that that's would say that the right is trying to like basically legalize hate speech and and the right is saying, you know, no, we're believing free speech. But um, we are so seduced into labeling things the second that we hear them like keywords, like we're all search engine optimization programs. And when we hear a word, we're like, oh, far right. I just heard free speech. That's got, that guy's right right over there. And, you know, bear with me just a I, second. Yeah, I was okay. Okay, it's the cat. I was like, "What is that?" I thought a spirit had invaded my podcast for a second. Um, while Karima deals with the cat, I'm going to show her this when she gets back because I think it's about time that she gets one of these. Okay, it's a cat. Oh, ah, Karima. <laughs> that 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 that's my version. That's my that's my prototype. I said I would knit you a cape because you're my superhero, but that's my prototype and. All it really is is a picture I found online, and I do not have any plans to actually knit you a cape because I can't knit, but we're going to get you one. Would you wear it? (laughs) I'm not, like, I I don't want any sort of pedestal because it's only a matter of time before, you know, like, the people shouldn't be put on pedestals, and that definitely includes me. Um, So, well, wait a second. I don't know if a cape cape is a pedestal. A cape could be a modest... (laughs) I, I'm nobody's hero. I'm nobody's hero. I'm a person who is out there with opinions um, and just documenting shit, right? Like the hallmark of be- any hero is humility. I'm just kidding. This is, this could turn into the life of Brian any second. We could just go back. <laughs> <to the record. laughs> um, but I, I I do like that it was a red cape. Um, so I appreciate that attention to people. I chose that because of your glasses. Because I'm smart. <laughs> um. Are you going to now do it less, right? Like that's the question. It's something now that now that that has happened, where that gerbil, um, that man, um, <laughs> milkshake at you. I'm not trying to lessen it, but it's it after beer. the it fact now. It, it, oh, with beer? Well, yeah, and like I don't drink beer, so for like I smelled like cat piss. Um, I didn't enjoy that either. That's a bad brand of beer. Cat piss. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not discerning in my, so it might have been a nice beer. I, I don't know, but it felt to me like half his. Um, yeah. No, I'm not going to stop. Fuck that guy. Um, fuck all of these people who think so that they can that. tell me what to say or not say, mm-hmm. like who want me to evaporate and just not exist in any sort of public discourse. Like, fuck all of you. 
I'm still going to do what I need to do. But as I mentioned at the outset, I am constantly reevaluating, right? And safety has to be a priority. Um, so, so that is top of mind. And these types of situations are alarming because they undermine uh, my sense of peace and security in my own neighborhood. Kensington is my backyard. Um, mm-hmm. This is where I live. This is where I work. Um, so that part sucked. Uh, however, you know, the public reaction generally has been really supportive. Um, so I am appreciative of that. And it's a tough strategy that you have to now employ in a way, because, um, you know, in the words of Rob Bass, I'm not a sucker, so I don't need a bodyguard. People don't like to be looked at as people walking around with bodyguards. The image of that is just like when they can tell, like you have a secret service, you guys or whatever. It's not that it might not be needed. It's just, it's hard to, it's so distracting. You know, and then that's all they'll talk about, you know. And I also like... can't afford that uh, is a little minor detail um, okay. that I, I, I can't I can't afford a security <laughs> detail 24 um, seven. I wouldn't want it anyway. Um, but I sh- and I shouldn't need one because I'm, I'm really just a private citizen existing in public. Um, so. My camera is is my real protection. Um and, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, that's after the fact, right? That it comes in handy and you kind of withstand the storm leading up. Um, but but that's, you know, and, and there's, I guess, strategies and tactics that I won't disclose here so that they aren't compromised. But I, I don't intend to just give up at this point um, because I, I think that, you know, my, my work has value. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. It does have value. Uh, And I'm so happy that you're saying that. I know like there is obviously a part of me that thinks, no, don't, don't like offer your two cents that she should keep going because what if it's unsafe? But the fact that you want to is everything because it means that you like actually care about the work that you do. And how would you describe what the work is? Is it exposing movements and what they're like underneath the hood? Is it like, what do you think the documentation part, what, what kind of work is that? So that people know, you know, that what you're doing has value. There's an element of exposing. Um, I see myself as holding up a mirror a lot of the time um, where, you know, my, my commentary is maybe a bit glib or snarky or past like, or just plain factual, um, which then gets read in uh 
negative ways, although I don't actually say anything that's negative. Um, but yeah, I, I see it as sort of holding up a mirror. Um, and it's it's just through my lens. Like that's that's all it is. Um, and, you know, it, it's... I, I just, I go out and, and record what I see um, and talk about it. That That's, that's, that's the extent of the work right now. Um, I saw you on um, that guy that looks like me only in 50 years, his show. Stephen um, LeDrew. That's the guy. I forgot his name. Um, dad, imagine that. That'd be so funny. <laughs> Swear bow tie, calling my dad. Um, anyways, I hated the interview. I, 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 this, that interview made me like cemented in the idea that this format is so much better to get to know someone. The questions were loaded. I think he cut you off in the middle of your answer at every question. <laughs> really? Unless it was, was it edited or was it really three minutes? No, that was, that was it. That was a three minute interview. We did two takes um, with like, different sets of questions. Um, and just for the record, this was minutes after I got lambasted by Brian Lilly, um, who does Brian not Lilly. like our comics. Yeah, let me tell you this story because Wait, it's okay. hilarious. I just wanted to show, because we have actually worked together. We have. Brian Lilly. I think that might have been what set him off, James. <laughs> this Just to give context and background, I, I called Karima. I think it was a video call. I was, I was like, Karima, picture it. Brian Lilly and Gag Ball. <laughs> Like laugh. someone holding his head hair and saying, "You'll write what we tell you to write," and then Karina added the Ontario PC and obviously the all of the artwork and the heavy lifting, and that's why she is my superhero. But he got so wait, he's mad. <laughs> well, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Um, so I show up at the National Club, which is like a fancy schmancy place downtown, um, and I go into this boardroom because that's where the interview was being recorded. But the guest before me just happened to be Brian Lilly. Um, and so I like head into this room, just oblivious, like, oh, I'm looking for Stephen LeDrew. Um, and Brian Lilly sees me and then comes at me and just like, he just offloaded, I think. It was maybe therapeutic for him. Um, you know, he asked me why I hate him he asked his, if I've ever seen my comics. When I told him, I was like, I don't hate you. I just do political commentary and, and comics are my my vehicle of choice. Like, have you ever seen your comics? You should be ashamed of yourself. It's vile. Um, it's not and then he just like stormed out. But like, obviously it created a scene. So, you know, everyone in the room was like, what, what was that? What just happened? You should just um, walk around with this in your pocket. Oh, it was just this. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so anyway, the three-minute interview happened, like, a few minutes after that, so I was not, like, fully on my game, um, but nonetheless, um, you know, it, it would have been maybe a more meaningful conversation um, if there if weren't it... so many, like, assumptions baked in and you know it it, it 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 that that i think is his his format um so i anticipated that to some extent um but it's not like it wasn't really an accurate reflection of what i do or what my thinking is um I, and I his felt first question like yeah, his, first, his question was like um you know 
why are you out there all the time protesting? Don't you have a good here? I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, my dad there, Stephen LeDrew, but I, I mean, does he speak about the convoy protesters the same way? Is he like, like, I, this is what I mean. We live in this weird era where our principles don't matter at all anymore. We don't even really have them. We're just sitting here like, if I do it, it's good. If you do it, it's bad. That's literally the motto of like almost everybody, um, which, which is a symptom of a, of a, a sick political system, isn't it? Uh, totally, um, because it's, it's very reflexive and sort of sports teamsy, right? Um, and and mm. you were absolutely, you hit the nail on the head with kind of, we are all search engine optimized, where we hear a key word, and then that's what it is. And we can't really think beyond that. And there's no nuance, no context. It's just these shortcuts, um, these intellectual shortcuts that we take. Um, so yes, the, the obvious answer was, you know, a lot of what I do is documenting people who actually seem to hate Canada um, and are the ones who, in many ways, um, benefit from a lot of what it has to offer. So it, it's not me who has a problem with Canada, although I do have certain problems um, with Canada. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, that was... That was the format, um, so I tried to be a good sport with it um, and get what I could across, but it it, uh, it was definitely a hot seat. People talk about revolution like it's romantic. You know, they, there is this idea, and, I, and, you know, it's not just the people that went to Ottawa and stated for the record that they wanted to, like, you know, overthrow, overthrow the government and put a very strange woman who probably reads tarot cards as our governor general or whatever that was, um, attorney general, but the idea or the queen, sorry, but the idea that we are all out there fighting for, um, a revolution, like, like, I'm, and, and now I am including the left. Like when the black lives matter protests were happening, there's a lot of revolution talk. And I remember thinking at the time that this is probably the first time that I thought to myself, you know, is it about the issue anymore? Or is it about the right to do it? And if you do it, is it the, ability to go far and then to rely on law enforcement to sort of like remedy that. And, but the talk of open talk about revolution kind of scares me a little bit because I, I don't think that the people that are talking about it, um, whether or not their issue is a worthwhile issue or not, I don't think they really understand what that would look like and that it would kill millions of people. <laughs> like a revolution will with a, especially in the United States where they have drones and they have the National Defense Authorization Act, which allows them to kill American citizens without due process. It, I think people need to like under, understand that the, the that type of language is inflammatory and it doesn't matter who it comes from. If you want a revolution, I'm pretty sure that most of the revolutions that happen happen pretty quiet. And then when you're ready to revolt, you announce that there's a revolution maybe or something. I don't know. I, I'm not a revolutionary. Um, are we is are are we to take away from people using that kind of language the relief that they probably don't know how to revolt or the or are we concerned because it could lead to an actual revolution one day? It's a very good question. Um, I think you're right that a lot of it is spouted. Um, sort of, and even if it does have some historical context or grounding, um, there is a disconnect between the words spoken and what would actually 
play out, what that actually entails. Um, and, you know, as a student of political science, um, there have been countless revolutions across the world overturning various societies and sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Um, but it's, it's not fun and games. Um, and that's why through everything I do, um, even when faced with violence, whether violent rhetoric or physical violence or whatever, um, I, I really try to insist on civility and discourse. And, and that's not to say this approach will save us. Um, I, I think there are times where you can't actually have civil discourse um, with someone whose views are so um, so innately and, and fundamentally um, disregard the value of other people's humanity, right? Like, I think that's kind of a threshold that we can't cross and we can't normalize that. Um, but at the same time, you know, the alternative to talking things out is fighting things out. And I'm not built for street fights. Um, so that's why I do what I do. And I think people who call for more sort of dramatic revolution, you know, especially if that's happening from behind a screen and you're not really someone who goes on the front lines, like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's the thing. Social media, people that use social media need to, I think, realize something. Um, the comments that you make on social media, it's not important, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> it's not important who comments under you and who comments after that. It's like, it's something like, I don't know, 800% of, of the audience on social media just read. They don't comment, they don't like, they don't retweet, they just read. And so the people that you're reaching are people that are not saying anything, but they're reading. Um, and that's why it's a weird mechanism. That's why social media is strange because it, it, people, everyone thinks it's about what you post on social media and it is to a certain extent, but um, you know, it's almost like you can, I, either we say that it's easier to any people or that a lot of incitement is out of human beings' hands and, and it's now algorithmic. I don't know if that makes any sense, but. No, it does make sense because you know, it's not like the social media platforms aren't neutral in the way that they disseminate or amplify information, right? Um, so like that is a fact that we need to contend with. Um, we need to contend with the, our inability at this point to actually regulate speech online um, or the way that it's done is, is very haphazard and arbitrary and lacking due process. And, and we've just sort of entrusted what have become public squares to these private entities um, that have that zero regard, uh, I think, for the well-being of democracy or civil society. Um, so that's extremely dangerous. Um, we don't actually know fully or understand fully the impact that this has on people and sort of how it uh, affects the formulation of thoughts or you know, like the spread of misinformation, conspiracies, um, hysteria, all of that, right? Like this is just amped up um, and we are all just stumbling around. And so the people who purport to have the answers 
right? And this is how we we do it. Mm, I'm I'm extremely skeptical um, about about that. Um, and, and I don't know, just yeah. The thing wants. the the thing that like amplifies everything is the thing that kind of makes everything shitty. I don't know what to do about it though. This happens to us every generation. Um, where the TV becomes the boob tube that rots your mind, right? And then the, the internet becomes the thing that you're addicted to at night in chat rooms that was at the beginning, you know? And then it's like smartphones and then it's social media and then we're like, like combining all those things into one device. And then we're like, what's the problem? <laughs> like we knew what the problem was. You know, we're from, and it's, we live in such a strange time that um, I think that we're like stupid because we know that if we are stupid, we get cool shit, you know? The royal we, and um, it's, it's kind of scary. But people like you, um, you may not want to wear a cape, but I would certainly like to. I mean, you can hang it on your wall inside your belt or whatever you got, you got in your wall. <laughs> um, please don't stop doing this stuff, uh, and um, please stay safe. And if you're gonna get a security guy, make sure he's like a Navy SEAL or something. <laughs> Just. Make him one of the things that like walks in the background where they don't really know if he's with you or not. And then they're like, you know, just stay safe. I will do my best. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was the intercontinental champion of dopeness, Kareem Asad. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. I love, I don't know why, uh, I don't know why people want to give her a hard time. It, it, It bothers me to no end, but it's probably due to the, level of intelligence displayed by people who yell and scream at people's faces, I guess. I don't know. Um, it leaves me at a loss for words when I see uh, people attacking, when I see men attacking women, especially like, Jesus, come on. I know you're four foot 10, but Jesus, you know, stop attacking women in Kensington market. Um, I do miss that neighborhood though. If you guys are in Toronto, you should go to Kensington. It's a fun place to get food. And that is that. Um, I have a, a couple things on the go but that I'm not ready to announce yet, which makes that entire sentence completely useless. And, and thank you for joining us on Blackballed. We'll, we'll see you next time. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. To the Blue Hotel I wanna live At the Blue Hotel The podcast that goes everywhere The imagination dares It's for the open-minded The pleasure seeker It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. 